You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is a new panel, a somewhat new panel, half a new panel. We have regular panelist, freelance writer Tom Chick. Uh, before we launch into this too too far, I just want to uh, ask one thing, and mm-hmm. that's whether or not I can get you a cup of coffee. Um, yeah? I would love coffee, um, but I'm working on the scotch first. Hey, who's that? Yeah, there you go. Uh, the other was just talking. The other voice is uh, Mr. Rob Zachney, who some readers of Flash of Steel might know because he's contributing to the uh, Decade series. He's written two entries in it already, as have I, and Bruce has written one. Poor bad Bruce. He is a regular contributor to The Escapist and maintains a blog at robzachney.com. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We should also point out, by the way, that Rob is 12, or something, like, give or take a few years, Rob. Like, you're kind of a kid, right? Yeah, but I'm a precocious 12. Um, and I've got <laughs> awesome. a very deep voice, so you can just pretend I'm in my mid-20s. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. Uh, so, uh, tonight's show, we're going to pick up uh, something we talk about from time to time in passing. Uh, we like to make fun of games that suck, so we're going to devote an entire episode, really, to the issue of strategy games that didn't live up to their promise, failed strategy games, uh, why games fail, uh, why big games fail especially, because uh, it's really no fun to pick on the small failures of the world. It's the big blockbusters that come down around your ears, like... Empire Total War, for instance. Like Empire, like Empire oh, Total I wondered how, how soon we were going to be able to roll that one out, because Troy... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still a defender. I'm still a defender. Not as much as I was, but I'm still a defender. Uh, but yeah, like Empire Total War this year, in many people's eyes, um, and like many other games through the years. And I guess the archetypal case of this, Tom, would be what? Master of Orion 3 is the poster child for epic failure. And Tom, if I remember this correctly, you were the one of the first people to call out that Master of Ryan Three had no clothes. Uh, I guess so. I mean, I did get a, a review up pretty quickly. My review, by the way, was—I I think I can say this—is this? Is this I, I've always sort of feel like I'm walking on eggshells. The review was uh, was turned down by Gamespot. Uh, I was writing for them, and I, I wrote this very negative review, and they said we're not comfortable doing this, and they basically. Uh, gave me a kill fee, and handed it over to someone else who wrote a more uh, I think forgiving review, or, or maybe more understanding. I don't, I don't know how you want to put that. Um, so my review was actually a little later than intended, and it got posted to quarter to three rather than a bigger, more commercial site. But uh, yeah, that was back when people were still not quite sure what to make of it. Master of Ryan 3 is so overwhelming, and there's just so much stuff there that it's kind of hard to untangle and realize that it's terrible <laughs> very quickly. It takes a while, and it's this, there, there's almost, there's a malaise kind of as you start playing it. It's it's sinking into this slough of despond. It's this weird, creeping dread as you're playing it, realizing that it's terrible, and it, it takes well, a while to fully appreciate that. Let me ask you, I mean, is it is it like front-loaded to um, awe you initially, and then you begin to peel layers back, or um, does it not even make a positive first impression? That's a good question, Rob, because I have this weird thing where when I am early on confused or nonplussed or bewildered by a game, I tend to think that's a failure on my part, and I just need to figure the game out. I, I want to give a game that confuses me the benefit of the doubt, and I want to learn it. And that comes from being uh, a longtime war gamer and, and being somebody who's always played complicated flight sims. Uh, so Master of Orion 3 was kind of like that. Like early on, there's this sense of, whoa, what's going on here? And some people might be turned off by that. But I found that very provocative early on. I was like, wow, this is there's got to be all these amazing systems here. And so for me, I was early on very enthusiastic about how daunting it was thinking, well, this is a me problem, not a Master of Orion 3 problem. Uh, and that dread comes from eventually realizing, no, there's no game here. This is entirely and, and overwhelmingly a Master of Orion 3 problem. And when you say there's no game here, uh, do you want to explain what you mean by there being no game there? Because I think this is really something that a lot of games um, that fail have in common, that there's a point where they just lose either lose track of their design or they lose track of their purpose. 
Um, in Master of Orion 3, what did you think was the missing game? Well, I, a, a game, any good game, is a collection of systems. And the systems have to fit together and influence one another. And uh, a game should be a latticework of these these systems that you learn. And they did not fit together in Master of Orion 3, and they were not interactive. Uh, there wasn't room for player input. And what, what player input was there was a matter of sort of, of tweaking and nudging the occasional number. Uh, there wasn't any good feedback. I mean, anyway, Master of Orion 3 is, is spectacular in that it fails on almost every conceivable level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you could point to any failure of game design, and Master of Orion 3 manages to do that. Well, let me ask you then. I mean, is it is the game ultimately comprehensible, and you come to understand it, and then you really like find your contempt for it, or are aspects of the game just fundamentally uh, bizarre, and you can never really come to grips with it? I think probably a little bit of the latter. I mean, you could play it, and you could let it run, and it, it's sort of there's so much under the hood, but I don't think it's a game you can ever really comprehend. Uh, I don't know, maybe I would be interested from hearing from people who actually liked it and played it and and tried to grok it and figure out what was going on there. See, uh, I didn't play a lot of Mass of Ryan 3. I played a little bit of it. Just enough to know this is just not, not my cup of tea. These are not numbers that I wanted to drill down in. I mean, that the numbers are too detailed, too marginal. Uh, as I recall, in your uh, review of it, Tom, you mentioned one of the big things you go back to in strategy games pointing to the Meyer civilization design. How it's all really discrete units. And how Massive Orion right. 3 just didn't have that. It was all, you know, formulas and stuff where you weren't sure when something was gaining, something was losing, what it all meant. And I put it away pretty quickly. Uh, but the sense I got from following the Massive Orion community was there were these initially positive reviews from, you know, IGN and UGO and a couple of places. And they all grabbed onto that, and then they were let down. And I was like, is, does, are there any Massive Orion 3 loyalists out there anymore? It, it was this odd sense of holdouts rather than loyalists. People yeah. who were in denial longer than others, I think. Uh, I, I believe it is now a commonly... The conventional wisdom is that Massive Orion 3 is terrible. I don't think there's anyone like you know the Japanese troops in the Philippine Islands who don't know the war is over. I don't think there's anyone left like that. Uh, so, so if any of our listeners are in fact fans and supporters of Massive Ryan Three, uh, either in its current form or it gets modded or patched to uh, survivability, please let us know in the comments. Uh, we'd love to, well, not try it again, but at least you know hear the alternate side. And uh, while we were talking Massive Ryan Three, Mr. Bruce Garrick joined us. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hello, Bruce loves Master of Ryan Three. No, it's a good game actually. I I totally disavow anything I've written about it. That's bad. <laughs> uh, Bruce, do you remember like your first encounter with it? I was I was speaking briefly. I was speaking a minute ago about when I am confused and daunted by a game, it tends to make me want to understand the game even more. I don't get easily dissuaded. I think okay, there's got to be something here. My, I, I think that's a Solium Infernum example. I mean, it's a game that was bewildering and confusing, and it just made us want to love it. So, and, and for me, Master of Ryan 3 was this gradual sense of dread as I realized, oh, this is, this is in fact terrible and not just daunting. Uh, Bruce, do you remember your early encounters with that game? Yeah, I remember that I loaded it up and remembered it being nothing like all the stuff that people had said it was going to be like and realizing that it was just... You know, another, you know, more micromanagement. It, 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 was, it was just a more historically accurate version of basically Master of Ryan 2. <laughs> so, I mean, but the, the thing that really kind of got me was, and Tom, you had done that interview with Alan Emmerich um, about, uh, you know, how they were going to do all these these radical things with the, the sort of 4X genre and, interesting ways to limit the player's input that would, you know, lead to more interesting decisions and then none of that was actually in the game and, and you know, I it it's it made sense pretty quickly that the game design had been, you know, very radically changed in a short period of time and I don't think they had any uh any ability to actually make a good game in the in the sort of abbreviated development schedule that they had. But my my first reaction was like, huh, this is this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. 
quickly followed by, ah, but I see exactly what it is, which is just, you know, it, <clears throat> it's funny because somebody made the comment about, and, and I hate to bring up, so I actually don't hate to bring up Sloan Infirm, I love bringing up Sloan Infirm, but uh, somebody made the comment about how it's really unfair that Sloan Infernum gets, uh, gets dinged for its AI when there's so many other games that came out that people play that have bad AI. The difference is that in the Sloan Infernum game, it might take you a couple hours to figure out the AI is not doing that well. And in some of these other games, it takes, you know, days because the games take so long. And I think that that's what basically what Master of Orion did is it took so long for people to figure out that the game sucked because you had to actually play through an entire game of it that, uh, you know, Tom, you remember all those inter- those uh, reviews where people would write some review that you, it just didn't make any sense. It just, it seemed like they started the game and felt that there was, oh, there's so much here and now it must be a good game as a result. And it, in fact, had nothing to do with anything. So um, I think it just, people didn't really get deep in, enough into the game to realize that it was bad or they didn't care or whatever. Well, and this brings up so two things that, I, uh, th- that I'd like to sort of expand on. One, uh, Bruce, you mentioned, of course, what you were expecting. There was a, a long tradition of affection and, and actually, I would say, deep love. I would go that far for the Master of Orion games, for what Simtex had created before these, and I'll, I'll say it because I'm angry, before these yahoos at Quicksilver came along and, and sort of ruined the, the good name of Master of Orion. They besmirched that reputation. Well, they're, so they're, you smirched it to the point you're not going to see another, another Master of Orion game. And, and so people loved those games, and they had expectations for it that were not met. So that's that's part of what can lead to an epic so failure. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but what's what's the story behind there? How did this how did this end up happening? Because I really don't know the uh, lineage of that franchise. Well, yeah, because you're 12 years old, so exactly kids these days. <laughs> so Simtex uh, Simtex was both of the Master of Orion's, right? Yeah, like it was published by Microsoft, developed by Simtex. Uh, these brilliant fellows who did. Uh, 4X strategy games. Um, and you know what? That's a good question. Does anyone here know how it happens that the license ended up with... It was Atari that published it, wasn't it? Or I believe so. I'm not sure uh, where Simtex just sort of vanished, didn't it? Yeah, and somehow the rights ended up with this developer, Quicksilver. The game was public... Uh, Infograms or Atari? I'm so, I'm so fuzzy on all the business details. From that no, it was definitely Atari. Okay. It was definitely. Uh, so, do you know, Bruce, how they ended up uh, getting the license for Master of Orion? I, I Microprose died, bl- dried up, and blew away, and I guess all these IPs washed up at various places. Yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, that's a that's a good uh, that's a good question. Oh, was it was it Atari? Yeah, I think it was Atari. Was it Hasbro? Well, there was that whole Infograms Atari yeah. Hasbro I sh- melange. <laughs> which... I don't quite recall the specifics of. Yeah. But, but, Rob, to answer your question, I think it's basically a matter of this was an IP that was was not going to be a huge seller, but had a lot of nostalgia attached to it. So it ends up with this developer here in Southern California. Uh, I think Alan Emmerich was, uh, like, his name was prominently attached to it. He was a, a video game writer for a long time, and he went over to development. He was, in fact, the man who, who, who coined the term 4X. He says that, but I don't. Th- I, I don't think so. He, don't yeah, think so? so he, I don't think he coined it, but I think he certainly popularized. Okay, but he said I think he's gotten it elsewhere. Uh, but but he also was the great frontman for Quicksilver, and I remember talking to him and thinking, "Wow, this guy's got some great ideas for a strategy game." Uh, and so yeah, so that that led to expectations as well. As people loved the license, they they put on a good face. Uh, there was a lot of nostalgia there. So that that's one thing that I, I'd like us to sort of talk about is how much does expectation influence an epic failure like this? Mm-hmm. And another thing, Bruce mentioning Solium and Burnham and the AI, a lot of times in lieu of a good AI, you can just have a clot of detail and numbers and, and information displays and spreadsheet layouts. And, mm-hmm. and that was really what Master of Ryan 3 did to obfuscate the fact that there was no gameplay there. Mm-hmm. It was just loaded with detail. It was... It was a forest of numbers. Uh, yeah, so. you really were playing yourself rather than the, the AI. You were playing yourself to try to figure out whether you you know could actually figure out what was happening. Uh, but <clears throat> just for kicks, the AI was was really 
once again, complaint level that's uh, solely infernum, uh, AI was really way too passive. Yeah. Never attacked and was, you, and that, was and that, that wasn't easy to see because there wasn't a lot of good feedback about what was going on. You could easily exactly. justify, oh, well, it's not attacking me because it's not ready or... Mm-hmm. Because it's it's laying in wait, you know, it's yeah. it's hatching some insidious plan. I see a lot of people talking about Solium Infernum that way. Uh, right. Oh well, he's gonna he's got an event, you know. Oh, he played this event at this time. Uh, people ascribe to AI what they want to see a lot of times. And it takes a long time to get beyond that, though. I mean, you you come into a game with high hopes, and you're you're inclined to ascribe brilliance to the AI, um, just because you know you know you you would do in that situation, and. You know, then you get that sinking feeling when you realize, no, it's just random, brainless chance. So, Rob, being a 12-year-old, do you have much in terms of expectations for game series? Can you think of an example of, of a, an epic failure that was largely a failure because of your expectation? Oh, man, well... Kids these days don't really have. <laughs> um, well, we're so jaded and cynical um, these <laughs> days. We don't, we don't have any expectations. Um, but, no, I, I mean... I don't want to get into Total War just yet, but um, I guess one game that really, you know, sort of crushed me um, at an even younger age when I was like three um, was Rebellion. Whoa! Wait a minute, the Star Wars thing? Star Wars Rebellion? Yes. Wow. The only thing wrong with that game is it had modal menus. <laughs> I'm surprised you actually remember that much, Bruce. Is that true? It actually had modal menus? It was one of the biggest problems I had with that game. Okay. So why Wait, was... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut Rob off. Go ahead. Talk about Rebellion. Why was Rebellion a disappointment? Well, I mean, if we're, if we're getting into the topic of, like, expectations, I think you, you bring into a game, um, you're looking for it to satisfy, um, you know, certain desires for that kind of game. And what I wanted from a Star Wars grand strategy game was a feeling of being... Um, you know, like an admiral on the deck of a Star Destroyer or something like that. And what I got was a much more cerebral, um, slow-paced game um, oh, that also completely eliminated um, any sort of like meaningful tactical battles. It was all strategy, but in the case of a Star Wars game, I didn't really want the strategy. I wanted, you know... Um, Star Destroyers and, you know, Mon Calamari Star Cruisers going yardarm to yardarm, basically. And um, when that wasn't in the game, I found it, you know, really disappointing. Uh, Plus, the AI wasn't very bright, and the game took forever to play. And let me ask, so I I think I'm confusing something here. Rebellion was the, it's sort of based on the Freedom in the Galaxy model, where you have fleets and heroes. Yes, you had the heroes, yes. That's right. Wasn't there also, I think Liquid Entertainment did a terrible... Real Force Commander. Strategy, yes, Force Commander. thank you. Man, for a kid, you know your stuff, Rob. Well done. I've been reading you since I was born. <laughs> uh, so yes, Rebel- that's right. And, Tom, and- Tom Check is your father. <laughs> oh, I should have whipped that out. Nice. Uh, and But Rebellion, I recall, didn't it have decent uh, real-time battles? Or you just mentioned you couldn't? No, no it didn't. Okay. Um, the the real time battles i mean the battles were real time uh but for one thing all that really happened was that you would have two fleets line up on opposite sides of the board and they would move in at each other uh pretty much it was out of your control and you could try to influence it by using some very broad stroke tactics um for instance you could try a right hook or a left hook and uh the fleet would swing out one sa- side side and try to flank um but it really made no difference. The uh, values of the ships were you know, already set in stone. Um, so the battle was pretty much going to play out the same way no matter what you did. Right. Um, so it was really just... It was a sop there, I think, thrown to people like me. Uh, but it, real quickly it became evident that it didn't really matter. All The, the battle was decided um, on the strategic level before you ever engaged. So here's a question. If Rebellion didn't have the Star Wars IP, if it was instead a strategy game, a science fiction strategy game released without the Star Wars baggage, would you have been disappointed in it? Or uh, how much of that comes from your Star Wars expectation? Would he even have bought it? Well, I mean, that right there, I think, Troy, is is the real issue. I I wouldn't have bought it. Um, You know, Star Wars was, honestly, um, for someone of my generation, Star Wars was my entree into a lot of different game genres. Um, but I don't, I don't think I would have bought it, but even if I could have, you know, freed myself from those expectations, 
um, and just dealt with the game on its merits. Um, well, I mean, there was no Europa Universalis back then, but um, it, it would have been pretty much a Europa Universalis with all the fun and interesting stuff taken out, and it would have been just a very plotting, um, expand like an ink blot across the galaxy um, without any really interesting decisions. Do you remember who made that, by the, by the way? I do not. I wonder if that was an internal LucasArts development. I think by that point they'd started outsourcing pretty much everything. Okay. Now, are you sure? I hear someone Googling. I'm, someone, someone is getting busted Googling. I look forward to the answer, but I just busted whoever's Googling that, by the way. <laughs> not, not I. I was not Googling. Um, so, I mean... If expectations are so important in how we respond to games and how you know audiences respond to games, like Mass of Orion 3, I think we can accept, was going to be a disaster even if it was like Sins of a Solar Empire 1. Like if it was the first version of that game. It was a terrible game. But I think of something like uh, Republic the Revolution. And this was a game that uh, is seen as a huge failure in strategy gaming, and I think almost exclusively uh, because of the hype attached to it. Do you remember Republic, Tom? I do, and, and I want to hear you talk about this more because part of my uh, – I, I do remember, and I think I remember giving it a bad review, yeah. but in my memory, I think Republic Revolution at least had this bold concept going for it. Uh, and so in my memory, I'm like, well, it didn't work, but bless them for trying. Well, Whereas Master of Orion 3, it's like, well, it didn't work, and aren't those guys jerks? <laughs> I mean, they had this grand plan to create – Kind of, it would have been like a strategic Grand Theft Auto type thing. The original plan would be a sandbox, post-Soviet nation that you get to, you know, control and live in, and sort of a combination of Sims Grand Theft Auto type thing. You influence the politics, and you can bribe and steal and murder your way to the top. And the game comes out, and all of the, those these great animations they've been showing for two, three years. You know, it was the most anticipated game of the year. Highly hyped at E3, all those animations are just cutscenes for a, what is in effect a big board game. Not a right. bad board game, but a board game about moving pieces around a post, a very small post-Soviet republic. So you have this huge buildup of this is going to change how we look at real-time strategy, and it becomes it, it's almost a bait and switch, um, and is seen as a huge failure uh, for. I'm not sure if we'd say it's lying. Uh, I guess you could call it that as well. I, the, the, the budget clearly ran. It was in production forever. Um, I wonder how much of the initial design ever even saw the light of day. Um, because like uh, many uh, many games up here, it had been in development for, God, I think at least four years, maybe longer, um, with very little to show for it in the final product, and it's, I think, justifiably seen as a great failure and disappointment based mostly on uh, shattering so many expectations. Do you remember the fallout from that, Troy? What they went on to do? <sighs> Something decent, I think. Yeah, I, and I, I think what happened is they end up saying, okay, this doesn't work, yeah. so they sort of scaled back their expectations, they didn't get as broad, and they made the evil genius games, right. which were also of, of limited success, right. but of much, they, they were attempting something more modest, right. kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, that was a Elixir, right? Right, yeah. A British studio called Elixir. So it was sort of like they learned their lesson, you know, they had right. their failure, and they're like, okay, well, let's Let's do something that's not quite so ambitious and try to get it to work. I mean, it, it had a day-night cycle, and it had a whole lot of really neat stuff going on, but um, in the end, the game just couldn't live up to the promotion that was given for it um, and all that they, they had promised. And I remember playing it, just reading the reviews of it. I mean, eventually bought it and played it just to see, you know, at least at the board game any good, and it was, you know, okay. But uh, it was just such a letdown for everything that had been promised before. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Republic Revolution uh, because I think of one of the things I wrote here on my list was the strategic level for Godfather 2, which came out uh-huh. earlier this year, uh, which had a similar concept, not as ambitious, but it's a GTA, and they want you to be able to own businesses and uh, play this political level as a mafioso, and it's supposed to be a strategy game slash RTS. 
that was one, that was one of the big bullet points, right? That they were going to add yeah. some strategy to this. Yeah, they even had was it called the mafia? They had some you know, the Godfather the mode or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don, Don Vision, Don Vision. I think it was very good, Rob. Very nice. Yeah, uh, and that that was terrible. And it, it it's a little bit like Republican the Revolution, Republic the Revolution, where uh, they want to put a little strategy game in their GTA open world, and it kind of and it falls apart. Uh-huh. There was no open world. It was actually really linear, as I remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, but they had a whole idea. Couldn't you walk around or you could uh, maybe more like Tropico 3, like you could follow a citizen. Didn't they do stuff like that? But that was the original. A lot of it was the, the original design. It was supposed to be more open. But in the end, it wasn't. The final product was, you know, very much, you know, scripted events and cutscenes, And you could walk around and do things, but you didn't have to. You could play the entire game from the board. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It yeah. was... Like putting um, playing Empire Total War, putting all your generals on autopilot. There's no need for the battles because you can play the entire game uh, on the board altogether. So why bother? Um, so it's entirely superfluous. And they had that stupid conversation like mini game, which was just idiotic. <laughs> how did that work? Do you remember that very well? I don't really remember it at all. I just remember how it was really frustrating because it didn't it didn't really make any sense. It wasn't really it was it was just it was like a it was oh. almost like one of those prisoner dilemma kind of things, almost. I don't really remember it being in any way a game. It was just sort of like you guess and then the, the guy guesses. Yeah, yeah, that vaguely sounds... Yeah, I, I do remember that. Kind remember of that? Like you're playing you're rock, paper, scissors? I'm, I vaguely remember that. Or something. Yeah. Oh, yes. The, the, per, the faction persuasion type thing, right? Yeah, it was just... Yeah, it didn't... I mean, I'm I'm trying to... I wish I could. I didn't have time before. I, I just basically got home from work and got right online. Or otherwise, I would have looked up uh, Computer Gaming World because I wrote the review for that back in whenever this came out. And uh, I can. I'm just looking here online and I'm finding like little blurbs, which sound terrible, by the way. I was really a bad writer. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's when you were a kid, Bruce. You've grown yeah, up. Yeah. Yes. That's when you were Rob's age. <laughs> exactly. So, so, by the uh, way, just as a real quick tangent, you mentioned the conversation system in Republic Revolution. That makes me think of uh, conversation systems there in uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 10, I believe. One of the things you could do as you went around the kingdom trying to recruit people is you would have debates, and you were basically throwing down a card to make a political point, and the mm. other guy would throw down a rebuttal card. And it was, it was, it was really charming. It was obviously what they were trying to do in Republic of the Revolution – but with this charming, tongue-in-cheek approach. Uh, and I think also of, uh, what was that terrible MMO that uh, Brad McQuaid did? Vanguard. So Vanguard had a diplomacy oh. system that was a collectible card game where you collect arguments and counter-arguments and rebuttals, and you could even uh, collect like racial guilt cards, and you would have conversations. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No, no, it was. I mean, it, it's stupid, but it, it's it's a stupid sounding concept. But it really does. It, it's a great way to put gameplay into this idea of people who can speak well. Uh, yeah. You know, rather than just giving you, okay, you have a charisma of twelve, roll a die. They build a, a game around the concept of conversations and debates and diplomacy. Uh, but I was love it that game? Idea. This was this was a subsystem within Vanguard. Vanguard right. is an MMO. And one of the Sorry. subsystems was their diplomacy, which you would run around, you would collect cards, and it was a separate uh, track of advancement. It was. Wait, I'm sorry, I didn't explain myself. Though I mean, my question is: Did it work? Did that part work as a game? Yes, yes. I, I and I say that as someone who can compulsively play CCGs and collectible and get into the whole collecting okay. vibe. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it did. It was one of the things I really liked about it. They never, at least when I was playing, they had never fully built it into the other game systems. It was kind of in perpetual state of beta. Uh, but as a standalone game, I really enjoyed it. And if, it, if they ever got around to patching into the rest of the gameplay, integrating it, uh, it's a great concept. So I just thought of that when, when you guys mentioned the Republic the Revolution conversation. So what are the notable failures have they been in the strategy arena? I mean, strategy games aren't exactly... Uh, there aren't any, are there any Duke Nukems of our genre? Well, I or, or, or Daikatanas of our genre, I suppose. Just war. But that's a war game. Yeah. Wow, you are hardcore, Rob. Look at you. 
What it, what is histoire? I see that written all the time, mainly oh, on the It's, not even it's, a, it's a white whale. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's is it out yet? The demo was released, the demo was, yeah. and the uh, first reaction was decidedly mixed. Um, if you could get it running, um, why don't you explain it for the panel? Oh God, I don't I don't know enough of the mythology, oh. but you uh, you interviewed the uh, yeah, designer. But, but, <laughs> the mythology. <laughs> it's Napoleon. Not a lot of mythology here. The game. Uh, yeah, the game. Yeah. Oh, the game. Yeah, no, it's a de- French developer. Uh, it's a real-time uh, war games. Was being published by Battlefront, and then a few months ago, Battlefront just pulled out of it uh, because it had been in development. My guess is forever. They didn't think they would ever they would ever see the light of day. Though uh, Jean-Michel Mathay, the developer, said it would be done by Christmas. Uh, now the demo is out, which I've downloaded and not played, but it is you know, one of the great pieces of, I guess, wargaming vaporware, along with combat missions campaigns. I, I can think of a couple of things like that that are, are sort of, that are our equivalent of Duke Nukem's. Oh, yeah? Um, I, I, would, I would say Road to Moscow is one of them. Oh, God, that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. What is that? That sounds familiar. Road well, to Moscow. Go ahead. Well, no. If I if I recall the pitch correctly, it was sort of supposed to be like what uh, Panther Games ended up doing with the Airborne Assault series. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be like real time operational warfare. Um, if I recall correctly, I mean the the AI was supposed to basically you you give your units and subunits would execute on your orders. It was very much like what Panther Games ended up doing successfully, uh, but this just never materialized over the course of years. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually played, uh, or played, that's a bad word to use, uh, installed and then clicked on um, a number of preview copies, which were really nothing more than alphas. They really didn't have any gameplay in them. But uh, it, it seemed to me like the whole, and this was back, I mean, I remember this is like 1999 or 98 or 99. And uh, basically the whole idea of, and Robbie, you're exactly right with the whole Panther Games thing. Panther Games really, uh, really needs to get credit for ha- for doing this sort of, you know, um, they're not really operational level games, at least the ones that they've done so far. But uh, you know, they're sort of grand tactical games. But still, that kind of real time uh, war game with uh, sort of organizational focus and what the publisher uh, or the developer wanted to do, and I can't remember who I thought, I thought it was Arsenal Publishing was the... Uh, I, think was, I think it was Arsenal. Yeah, and and I can't remember who was doing it. So some some developer Battlefield something, I, I can't I can't remember. It, it's it's escaping me now. I should have looked it up before we started, but um, the, uh, the whole thing was that they were going to do the Eastern Front, the entire Eastern Front that way, with, you know, you had different formations, and then you had this huge... I remember taking a screenshot once of, of this giant uh, organizational chart for one of my units, and you could just, you know, attach and detach, like, individual tank battalions, and, you know, you had all this stuff flow through, and it, but it, the, the game didn't really know how to deal with that very well, and the scale that you were playing at, you know, you are kind of moving these divisions around. Actually, I think you were moving core around. So it was Eastern Front, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you, need, you didn't have much. Um, you sort of just like let it go, and I think I think the the developers at that time were sort of were sort of banking on you, um, you know, being amazed by the fact that they could generate their you know own dynamic weather systems. Well, I, I think you know I think there's a, there's a real similarity uh, between Road to Moscow and Histoire, and that's they're both sort of trying to give you this you are there. Um, feeling of being uh, Napoleon in one case or, uh, you know, like von Manstein in the other, right. um, where you are this high commander and you have to exert your influence down through the chain of command. You know, where w- most war games, they just set your command level and then you give orders directly to your units and they all obey you perfectly. Right. Um, these games try to make it feel like you are standing there in headquarters uh, making your battle plans. Uh, the problem is that's incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's you know probably the iceberg that's nailed both these projects. Um, although you know, Hist War, the jury's still out, and some people have said once you get used to it, um, there's a lot of promise there. It could be patched in pretty good shape. Yeah, 
And Road to Moscow, on the other hand, I mean, was never released, not even a demo. And it just mm-hmm. sort of this, you know, that last preview version sort of floated around and it was sort of discussed on Usenet back when Usenet was, you know, people actually read Usenet. And uh, it just sort of just faded out. And I'm sure those guys just long since moved on to other projects because it became kind of pointless to work on. I think, it, I think actually the funny thing is it would be totally possible, totally possible to do a, um, a Road to Moscow type game right now. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think the, design, the core design has already been sort of proven um, by Panther Games, or you could maybe even say, um, you know, take command, although that's a different era and totally different type of combat. But Yeah, I, I just, I agree. I think, it, I think that game could be done and uh, would, be a, would be a totally doable um, project now, but course that's long the the war gaming has long since moved on so war game designers out there bruce garrick is willing to invest in your company <laughs> if you will make uh road to moscow for him oh i'm not <laughs> i don't think anybody would buy it i'm just saying you could do it <laughs> uh we have an, i think a better candidate for i mean that's a, a war gaming thing i think there's a more general strategy gaming there's a couple of things that that serve as our duke nukem uh, and I know, Bruce, you're probably like me in that you're disappointed that Tim Brooks has never gotten around to doing his 101st Airborne game. Yeah, I mean, that, definitely. That That's another, like, right. new that's been in yep. development forever that I would love to see. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that never materializes. Yeah, I don't think it will. We also lost the chance, this is a Simtex one, too. Simtex was working on a superhero XCOM I think it was called Agents of Justice, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then we, that, that imploded, basically. That was sort of an epic failure that a lot of people were looking forward to, again, based partly on the strength of things like the Master of Orion series. But is that an epic failure? I mean, that just ne- was canceled, correct? That is a failure to launch. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Uh, but not a failure of design. So those, those I think, are... And that's, that's like, like Duke Nukem. I mean, is Duke right. Nukem an epic failure? It's failure to launch. Yeah. Uh, what, about, what, about, what about our, our Dodaikatanas? Squad Leader? Do, do that, I mean, were enough, were enough people like really excited about Squad Leader and they thought that... No, uh, no. They would, no, they, everybody realized it was going to be total crap before... Well, I think, I think we all recognized that, I mean, close combat was sort of the spiritual um, you know, inheritor of the, of the uh, Squad Leader mantle. Um, it would have been cool to see a, com- a faithful computer translation of that game. Um, but I think that the writing was on the wall. If I recall correctly, the writing was on the wall pretty clearly with that project from an early date. Yeah, it just seems like so many people were, were still, uh, you know, I mean, the game was really, really bad. And I don't think everybody really realized how bad it was going to be. <laughs> so, I mean... Okay. Yeah, I, you have. A, I think you have a point there. I think people didn't have high, very high expectations for that. Uh, we're, here's a daikatana. Uh, actually, I wouldn't say this is a daikatana. The, the problem with this, again, expectations. Mm-hmm. It was a good developer. So it, I think one of the things you really need for an epic failure is it should be a developer who you think they should know better. Yes. Uh, and and this is a classic example of that. The developers of Kohan Timegate Studios at one point. I think they were just so frustrated with their games not selling well because they had their own weird mythology. They decided we're going to do Kohan, but with World War Two, and they made and they even got a license. You know, they got Hasbro's Axis and Allies, Axis and Allies license, and they made Axis and Allies, which was a World War Two version of Kohan. And it was terrible. It didn't work. Oh wait, I'm curious about that though. Kohan was good. Um, so what 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 about the goodness didn't uh, make the jump to World War Two? I think it was they forced this idea of those little squads, um, build, building your squad out of tanks and anti-tank troops, and the the design of Kohan works best with a little bit of whimsy and fantasy stuff. And when you shoehorn these real-world weapon balances and the traditional. You know, anti-tank versus tank versus infantry versus air power versus strategic bombers. Uh, it just felt forced. Uh, and they had a thing, too, I seem to recall, where you had to unfurl different headquarters buildings, and they were trying to create this 
organizational structure using the squad building stuff from Kohan that also felt forced. I think they just knew that World War II was popular. They knew that they had the Axis and Allies license, and they just couldn't translate that to this wonderful gameplay system that they had. And it bore next to no resemblance to the board game. Not only, yeah, no resemblance to the board game. I don't even recall if there was any sort of strategic level. I don't think there was. What about, uh, speaking of board games, what about the uh, computer version of Diplomacy? That was definitely an epic fail. Yes. Oh, well, which which one? They've all been uh, epic fails. There's been like three attempts to do it, and none of them have been any good. Wow, I really? forgot about that. That many? There was yeah. the... There was the... Um, the Paradox one was the most recent one. Yeah, that one, yeah, that was terrible. But there, then was there was the, one there was before, the Hasbro one. And, bef- and well, even well before that, there was a one on DOS. Uh, I think... Mm. A, that was the Avalon Hill version. That was actually... What's DOS? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So cute. Uh, as, I, as I recall, it was mostly... Uh, it might have been just a multiplayer. Uh, so, but yeah, the, the Hasbro one was bad, and the Paradox one was terrible. Uh, I, I, as, that, yeah, they're as, both terrible. I mean, the Hasbro one was really, really terrible. Yeah. Uh, as I, I mean, when I reviewed the Paradox one for CGM, I made the case that this is a game that is inherently undoable as a computer game, um, unless you have really good, allow good interaction between players, because it can't be played single player. Right. Uh, it's a game that defies single player because so much of it is about trust, and a computer can't build trust and doesn't understand trust. Um, so it's well, it's just a, plus it's the whole idea of you know. Who's going to get excited about outwitting the computer, right? I mean, yeah. it just doesn't really make any sense. So, hey, that works uh, for me. I've, made, <laughs> I've had many of an exciting uh, weekend night outwitting computers. How dare you? That's perfect. <laughs> uh, do you guys like these real-time strategy games, or is there, are you too like grognardy for those things? Because I think no. I'm, let's hear. Let's hear about. Let's yeah. hear about uh, one of your uh, one of your newfangled their real-time kind of strategy games. So two they have very those. recent. Epic failures on the newfangled real-time strategy gaming front. Uh, Rise Troy, you're with me on. I think I mean, Legends. Go uh, ahead. One. What were you saying? Rise of Legends. How God no. You. God How no. Dare you? Can you <laughs> stop with the podcast? Don't even joke about that. Although that's that's one of those epic failures of epic business failures. Yeah. yeah. Whoever, yeah. anybody listening who hasn't who didn't support that game, you should be ashamed of yourselves. I want you to stop listening right now. You're fired as a listener. Yeah. What if you're uh, on the podcast? Oh, all right. well, that's okay. It's, it's been good having you. That was Rob Zachney, everyone. Um, I think Rob was born when that game came out, so that's okay. So uh, you were saying, Tom? Go ahead, Tom. So uh, a recent epic failure, actually both of these were epic failures that made it to the Xbox 360, so that the Xbox 360 version of Supreme Commander, yes. which did oh. absolutely nothing to take into account the fact that it was a... Very fiddly, very meticulous, demanding PC game. The way they just crammed it into a 360 controller with no provision whatsoever for how difficult it was. It, it was pretty much a, a port, but they yeah. forced you to use this big clunky thing uh, without any attempt to translate it um, between the platforms, and it was God, that was wretched. Uh, and then another one that I think failed more at the design level, uh, and these are people who I think should have known better. I don't know, maybe this was intentional was Red Alert 3 mm-hmm. for the amount of interactivity it required at the pace that it ran. Um, it's a classic problem in a real-time it's strategy. A lot of, yeah. Where you have to micromanage stuff, which can be okay as long as the game acknowledges that, as long as it doesn't run away from you. But every unit in Red Alert 3 had a special ability, but every unit also would die very quickly. Uh, I just think that at the design level, at a basic understanding of how you pace gameplay... It was just a huge failure. And those guys at EALA had done some great real-time strategy games. Well, they'd, they'd just done Command & Conquer 3, which is actually a very great real-time strategy game. It was fast, but it wasn't an unmanageable pace. Right. And before that, they had done Battle for Middle-Earth 2, which I, I think is one of the all-time greats. And here they go on to, like, like, like some Eastern European company who's never made an RTS, they go on to do this really rookie mistake. Uh and, again, trying to port that to the Xbox 360 without any real concern. They tried a little harder than gas-powered games for their port in terms of adapting the interface. 
but it still didn't work. Now, didn't Gaspard Games contract out the? Uh, I think you're right. The yes. sixty port. Um, but but still, you know, that's, yeah. they 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 wrote off on it. Right. There, so. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and I remember like Chris Taylor um, giving an interview uh, with the uh, guys on the Games for Windows podcast, talking about just how well it worked. Um, and they were a little incredulous, but if I recall correctly, it was like, no, no, you you you, you know, you lasso your units, and it just it works beautifully. Um, which I don't see how you could reasonably make that claim. Uh, Chris Taylor's a good, he's a good spokesman. <laughs> he's doing his job there. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was outrageous to hear. And I think they have since then sort of mea culpa'd. Uh, well, at E3, as I recall, they were pretty much accepted. Uh, Taylor, I think, pretty much admitted that they weren't happy with the 360 port and they're going to do better this time. Uh, because by not releasing a port. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a simultaneous, it's going to be a simultaneous release, right? The yep, simultaneous, and they're both being done in house. I believe they're both they're doing both of them at the same time on their own. Yep. So fingers crossed for those guys. Although I don't, I don't have high hopes. I mean, I, I really think, but well, that's a whole other conversation. But you can't just—it's an epic failure to dump a PC real-time strategy game onto a console system without somehow acknowledging it can't be the same thing. Unless, of course, they change what Supreme Commander is. They don't make it the fiddly, giant, majestic, slow-moving mess uh, that people love. And if we go back a little farther, uh, further, uh, Rise and Fall of Civilizations and the Empire Earth series, yep. also, I would say, epic failures. Just miserable, terrible games that fundamentally misread what it takes to make a working, playable, real-time strategy game. The Empire Earth series is interesting because it went through three iterations, each of them very different uh, from the other. I mean, these were three very different versions of the same series, and none of them really held together. But you, you could argue the first one was the best, because it was the most traditional. Uh, but it was also just so broad. Does anyone remember Ascendancy? Ah. Oh. Sci-fi thing, isn't it? Like the, uh, I confuse it with Outpost. Yeah, well, they were. I think uh, they were released... I think Ascendancy came a little bit after. Um... But they were both disasters, if I recall correctly. Uh, but I, I know Ascendancy was a game that, um, you know, made an outstanding first impression. Uh, it was really beautiful, um, really good musical score. Uh, you know, almost haunting, really. Um, and that first playthrough, and I think that's sort of where it racked up some, you know, good early buzz. Um, that first playthrough, you thought this was a really good strategy game. Uh, at least I did. Um, but then once you find your feet with that system, you realize just how shallow that game was. Uh, the, the real problem was that once you, you know, even had a modicum of ability with that system, um, you could max out your civilization in about half the game length. Um, and then you're just twiddling your thumbs waiting to win, that sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. They, they'd sort of built it for, they, I th- you know, it really sort of seemed like they had built it for that first playthrough. Um, and assumed that nobody would, I don't know, either nobody would ever be good enough um, to play it at you know, a decent level, or they just didn't care. But the, the effect was that um, you know, the game abruptly got very easy, and you would come across other civilizations that were you know, just getting started, and you were already the most advanced race in the galaxy. Um, that became every game. Um, so that was, I would say that was another epic failure. Uh, you know, tremendous production values and just no real meat on those bones. I don't even remember Ascendancy. The name rings a bell, but I'm sure I've never played it. I've played it. I just can't. It's one of those games back that far. So the games kind of blend together. Um, how about Superpower? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. That got some hype as being, you know, it was going to be the super realistic world simulator. Historically oh. accurate. Did it get any hype? I thought so. Maybe not. I remember that being... Was that was one of the worst games I've ever played. I think that was supposed to be a comedy game. But then, then I played Superpower 2. <laughs> that was even more miserable. They mastered their crappiness? Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, that was the game, Tom, if I'm correct, where landlocked countries declared war on each other from continents away, right? 
You know, you can do that in if you have a, a Praetor as your champion <laughs> during the vendetta. That's that that works. Okay. I'm not sure they had from Praetor technology and superpower. Maybe at the very end of the game. Uh, well, should, should we start giving Troy a hard time? Is it is it that time yet? I think it is. I think it's time to whip out the Empire Total War card. Yeah, the Empire Total War card. Okay. Well, hang on. I don't think we can. I, no, I think, all right, do it. Why no, is it? No, a I, I'm saying I don't think you can begin this story with Empire Total War. Okay. Um, as someone who you know, obviously loved the Total War series from its inception, I think it really started to go off the rails with Rome. And I know you really like Rome, but I have some serious problems with that game, and I don't think they've ever been resolved since then. Oh, okay. This will be interesting. I think Rome's the best of the Total War games. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, here's my here's my problem with Rome, is that fundamentally, once they transitioned to the 3D map, the AI never figured out how to play it, and it's a single-player game. Um, so that's that's the first major major problem, is that Rome especially... Um, when it was released, was was pretty easy. Very like you had to try to lose. Um, I don't know the the other the other issue I had with Rome is that I I just don't, I just don't find that that three D map very fun. Okay. The AI really can't handle the three uh, D map. Um, with the with the old risk map, it was really simple uh, to figure out where your army should go, where you should attack, and I think the AI could really handle that because you had these really solid continuous fronts. And the moment the front sort of disappeared and it became this uh, porous map where armies marched from node to node, um, the AI really didn't know what to do. Um, and that's where the first game we really started these seeing these bizarre situations where. Um, the AI would unleash this devastating sneak attack, besiege a crucial city, and then a turn before the city is supposed to fall would just leave for no apparent reason and then come back the next turn. And that's been a feature of every Total War game since Rome. Um, the other thing is that I really think that um, the, the pace of the game, the, the act of playing it, the interface, um, all just became very cumbersome once you switched to that uh, 3D map. Um, it was very fast just to, you know, flip your units and, you know, sweep them into the neighboring province on the risk map. Uh, but the moment it became 3D, you started having these plotting turns where armies would sort of trot around the map, um, and you'd have them taking asinine pathfinding. Um, and by the time you reach Empire, I think that problem has become fatal, uh, because the map is so huge, and there's so much going on, uh, that Empire is kind of excruciating to play. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's that's just the beginning of my objections. <laughs> just the beginning. I mean, Empire Total War has been getting uh, a pretty rough ride uh, this year. I am surprised to see uh, Chris Remo name it one of the top five PC games on G- Gamma Sutra today of the year. It's actually quite a surprise. Chris Remo is dead to me. No, but no, I I didn't read that. I was going to. Um, what was what were the reasons he gave? Um, the scale, uh, the power of the majesty, more or less. That it's uh, the most majestic game of the year. Sorry. Okay, so so it's a David Lean movie, or a Michael Bay, but sure. So am I the only one who dislikes uh, where this series has gone? I I, I haven't played the. Uh Total War series since uh, medieval, so I'm kind of out of this one. I actually liked I, I liked the 3D map, and I thought Rome was a very well done game. The AI, uh, I don't think the AI was all that great shakes in the uh, province movement games. Very often, uh, it would I mean Creative Assembly used the same tricks there uh, for the AI that it used in Rome. It would find a reason for the AI to gang up on you because it could not compete. Uh, on an even playing field. I mean, they would, they would, you would always be at war with two different powers. Uh, there was no attempt uh, to have a realistically acting AI diplomatically or strategically. They'd just keep you off balance by always having you at war. Um, and they did that in Shogun, they did it in Medieval, um, and they did it in, uh, even they, they even kept that going in Rome. And I think one thing that the Empire does right at least, is you don't have you know the state of constant war. You there are actually periods where you can you know have peace and you can. No, I, I absolutely did have constant war though. Oh, did you in Empire? I didn't all the time. 
Uh-huh. Well, the, see, where I had... There seemed to be two different AIs at work. One was for great powers, and one was for, um, you know, s- small states. Yes. Um, and I found that you could always deal rationally with the great powers. Um, you know, the Habsburgs would know when to back off and walk away. Um, but God help you if you pissed off Westphalia. Um, because... <laughs> You know, they would hold a grudge, and you you know, you would have three armies on their border, and you just want them to go away, um, and they wouldn't make peace. They would they would fight you to the death, and um, because it was, armies reconstructed very quickly, um, that could take you know, it was it was like the Trojan War. Every time a war broke out with a small neighboring state, uh, the, 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 the Dagestan is the same way. A real pain in the ass. I know Tom hates uh, Empire Total War, uh, so we'll have to go back into that again. Well. I don't know. See, my my main problem with though with Empire, honestly, mm-hmm. really is that I I find the interface really frustrating to deal with, and I I do think um, tactically and strategically, um, it's it's more of a challenge than either Rome or medieval was. Um, the battles seem a lot more coherent, uh, but for me, it's just. The game's become, and, and you wrote a bit about this on your blog, the game has become so big that a lot of the things that were originally charming about this series have sort of gotten lost, and that feeling yeah. of grandeur, I think, has given way to a bit of a feeling of bloat. Yeah. Um, and one other thing I, I have in my notes I'll accept here... That. One thing I have in my notes is that, that, that bloat includes units that really aren't very effective. There are things in that game that just ser- serve no real purpose. Um, and that includes certain types of units. I mean, I never found a reason to uh, use light infantry. Um, it seems like that should be a crucial component of a well-balanced battle, but because your armies are of limited size, you're always better served by going for the heaviest units with the greatest slugging, you know, hitting power and the greatest staying power. And any sort of special unit really doesn't find its place in this game the way it did in previous ones. And that, that's one of the really big problems with Empire as well, is that Creative Assembly knows what they're doing. They should know what they're doing by now. Mm-hmm. These are rookie mistakes, and that's that's part of what takes... An epic failure yep. is often a developer that should know better, an established developer yep. for whom you have a reasonable expectation. They're going to make a game that doesn't have broken features, that the AI knows at least how to play competently, uh, and they're going to support it after the fact. And Creative Assembly, on all three counts, has... I think failed. Although the post early support's been abysmal. Yeah, there are fundamental problems with the design. The AI has just, I think, been uniformly terrible, and their post release support uh, abysmal on on a number of separate counts as well. Uh, they make all this downloadable, charge downloadable content available, uh, and there's this perception that you guys are asking me for more money when you haven't yeah. even fixed the quote unquote the core game. Uh, and, you know they're they're trumpeting the Napoleon standalone, which is, should be out shortly. And one uh, of the one of the big uh, features, one of the uh, big bullet points for Empire was uh, the the multiplayer campaign, which is now in beta and it's been out almost a year. And game. which I think also is a is a a, a sad misreading yeah. of resources. I mean, they backed themselves into a corner by promising right. this, but you can only have two players playing, which I understand why that is. Yeah. But that's not the appeal where I'm on one side of the map and Troy, you're on the other side of the map and maybe we never interact. That's right. the, the game isn't about two players. It's nope. not about uh, two nationalities. It's about the kaleidoscope of a bunch of different players and their multiplayer for the strategic map doesn't acknowledge that. Uh, and then furthermore, they've, they've made a couple of really tone-deaf posts, blog posts, that have been passed around that sort of lament, oh... We or can't us. really support the game because we got bad reviews and you, enough of you people didn't buy it. And uh, they, instead of mea culpas, they're pointing fingers, and that's just that's just tone deaf. Yeah, it's, and it's really tacky when you're making games with the kind of budgets you know they're operating on. Exactly. Uh, there's there's, there's, a, there's a lot of small developers who are putting out you know rough product that's really good, um, but that's. So I, I would I would easily call uh, Empire Total War an epic failure. I, I would say one other thing too is that you know I really noticed it on, on the battlefield this time the the total the 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 way Total War handles its tactical battles um, I really did think worked well in all the other games except this one. Once you enter um, 
you know, the Napoleonics and pre-Napoleonics formation control becomes so important. Um, you know, the way your units maneuver on the battlefield becomes very important, and that, you know, drag-and-drop uh, mode of command that was used in all the other games really successfully um, just doesn't work. Um, I don't want my musket men, you know, standing six ranks deep because, you know, the back <laughs> three ranks aren't going to fire. Um, so it just, you know, you end up you end up with all these options that, once again, even on the battlefield, they're not going to do you any good. Mm-hmm. Um, you end up, I found myself just wishing that it was more like, um, you know, Sid Meier's Gettysburg or Take Command, um, something designed to handle units that fought like that. And so, what, Troy, this was named... Uh Someone said this was like one of the best PC games of the year. What, yeah, what, I believe what it was, accolade did it get? I believe Chris Remo on Gamma Sutra today said, doing up their end of the year list, called it one of the best uh, PC games of the year. Yeah, Chris Remo, here we go. Empire Total War is number four. Uh, top The top five PC games. Number one was Dragon Age, two was Dawn of War, two, three was Left 4 Dead, two, four was Empire Total War, five was Torchlight. I'm like, you know, whatever. I mean, this whole yeah, thing. Empire Total War. Uh, grandeur is the touchstone of the Total War series. The creative assembly more than lived up to that reputation with this latest entry, Empire. Encompassing a massive geographical scope, yada yada. Uh, in the creative medium, so dominated by fantasy, science fiction, and Rambo-esque combat theatrics, there is something laudable about a developer-like creative assembly that pursues an entirely different and more accountable kind of wish fulfillment. The game's launch was unfortunately marred by technical issues for many users, some of which have reportedly persisted. And for some reason, yeah, anyway, that is whatever. Yeah, I, like I don't want to take issue with somebody's yeah. sure. year-end list. That that's certainly fine and subjective, yeah. and I I love arguing about those. But right. uh, first of all, breaking things down by platform like that, I also don't understand. But to to not convey, I think that I, I think it's sort of irresponsible to sort of not convey important caveats about Empire Total War. And, and Troy, like you've, I've, I've given you guff about this, yeah. but I don't think you've ever done this. I think you're aware of the limitations. Yes. Uh, but to just sort of dismiss that with a little mention of technical difficulties, it goes far beyond that. Well, I, I think it's it's useful to compare... Um, oh, God, I always get the guys at Rock, Paper, Chalk get confused. Um, one of them wrote about um, Arma 2 today, and... You know, without downplaying any of the problems with that game, um, you know, the bottom line was this is such a unique game, um, so ambitious, so ridiculous, um, that, you know, you, you can sort of acknowledge all those flaws and fundamentally on some level not really care. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a totally valid personal reaction. Yeah, but if you're talking about personal reactions, that's one thing. But writing critically and analytically and sort of conveying ideas to other people, I think your responsibilities as a writer, I think that's something completely different. Uh, and when you do your year-end list, that's fine because you're talking about your own personal preferences and you right. can set aside any sense. I mean, I, I like flawed games and I'm not – there are plenty of them are going to make my favorites list. Uh, but things like Arma, by the way, uh, Rob, is a perfect example that's a game that I think it's irresponsible to talk about it to people who are looking to you for information without issuing some important caveats, namely that it doesn't work as advertised. And the same is true of Empire Total War. Uh, well, I, I think one issue, though, that does come up probably with both these games, I mean, I have not played Total War since the Empire, Empire since the latest patch. Um, and the problem is development for these games goes on for so long that, it's hard to keep track of when certain complaints stopped being valid and which ones persist. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just becomes a morass. I, well, I don't think either, though, I don't think either Arma 2 or Empire Total War, uh, part of the problem, and the community is very vocal about this, bless their hearts, because then I don't have to necessarily go in and retry it. Uh, although I have done that with some of the patchwork with Arma 2 and Empire Total War. But the, the, computer, the community makes for a great sort of watchdog. Uh, if patches come out and things don't get fixed, there will be griping. I think you will know about it. Uh, and if things do get fixed, similarly, they, they tend to appreciate that and talk about that. And uh, But I remember going back, Arma's had, uh, I tried it over the first, I think, three big patches they, they released. And they failed to fix very fundamental things about how the game is supposed to work. Mainly scripting things in single player. Uh, well, I, I think um, 
you know, one thing in cases uh, with communities like this, um, there's also this danger. I, I see it happen a lot in the uh, Total War community, um, where people just get tired of the neg- the negativity, um, where people, you know, just get sick of the people who are pointing out all these problems with, you know, uh, the sacred cow, um, and they just start sort of tuning out valid criticism. Um, and that's that's the other thing is I think you get this sort of Stockholm situation uh, Stockholm syndrome uh, with your epic failures where you know certain gamers the game is abusing them um, you know but God you know God help them it's 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 <laughs> their fault really it's not the games and why won't these people just shut up right right uh, so. We, there are a lot of epic that we didn't get a chance to talk about. I wanted to talk about Sid Meier's Railroads. We didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, I'm sure I will get a nice uh, comment from one of my friends at Firaxis telling me why it's a good idea we didn't do that. Uh, but uh, that's another one which uh, would have raised some interesting questions, I think, about a talented house uh, just completely uh, missing something and the appeal of their previous uh, games on that theme. But we are past the hour mark, and we generally wrap up right about then. I want to thank uh, Rob Zachney for coming in and pinch-hitting really at the last minute. I sent him a message uh, probably about an hour before uh, we were pretty much about to start saying, I'm not sure that Bruce or Jillian are going to make it. Can you come? And he very willingly jumped in. Rob, you did a great job. Thanks for helping us out. My pleasure, guys. And, of course, Tom and Bruce, usual panel, thanks a lot for your insight. Happy we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have a topic ready for a next week uh, yet. We'll brainstorm on that and get one together as soon as we can. Say good night, everybody. Good night, all. Good night. Good night, everybody. Gamers.